Okay, so the New Testament reading is from the book of Mark, and it's Mark chapter 12, verses 28 to 34. One of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked him, of all the commandments, which is the most important? The most important one, answered Jesus, is this. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, love your neighbour as yourself. There is no commandment greater than these. Well said, teacher, the man replied. You are right in saying that God is one and there is no other but him. To love him with all your heart, with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbour as yourself is more important than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And from then on, no one dared ask him any more questions. Uh, good morning, everyone. Uh, if I haven't met you before, I'm Mick. I'm one of the ministry staff here at church. Uh, before we get stuck into the first commandment, how about I pray? Our Lord and God, as we read your word today, give us wisdom to see and uh, know you as you have revealed yourself to be. Uh, may we heed the warning uh, of those who have not treated you as you deserve. Uh, and may we respond in Christ uh, to you as the one true God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, could you imagine the scene going on at Mount Sinai in our first reading? Could you imagine being there on that moment where God is about to give the Ten Commandments? Uh, God had, in the previous months, rescued his people out of Egypt with a whole range of incredible, miraculous signs which had freed this slave nation. Uh, they were led through the desert towards the Red Sea. Uh, Pharaoh, he had just reneged on his agreement to let them leave and he was pursuing them with an army. God parted the seas and let Israel through on dry land and then enveloped their enemies. Uh, God gave them a cloud that would lead them uh, through the desert by day and as they approached Mount Sinai, this fluffy cloud became like smoke and enveloped the whole mountain. God spoke rumbling words from this cloud and Israel, they were freaking out and they said, whoa, just... You just speak to Moses and then what we'll do is we'll listen to him and do what you say. Uh, and so in Exodus 20, Moses then delivers to Israel the Ten Commandments. Uh, and we're going to focus today on Commandment 1, which is, just wondering who's learned it from last week. Yep, one God. Yep, that's all right, that's cool. Uh, but if you want to look at it and read it, Exodus 20, we're going to look from verse 2 says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery, and then the commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. You see, verse 2 is actually really, really critical here. 
Uh, it's the identity marker from which all of the commandments are derived. You see, God reveals himself as the Lord, the God who may know from their family history, uh, the one that we know through the book of Genesis. Uh, he is the one through whom everything has come to be. But he is not just the Lord, but the Lord, your God. You see, God is doing something special here, uh, making this motley crew of misfit former slaves to be his people. Uh, they will be his people. He will be their God. Uh, and there is an exclusivity to this. Uh, it's not like God is revealing himself to Israel in this way and he will reveal himself to the Egyptians in a different way. Not at all. But God is actually binding himself with his people. Uh, he will be their God. And he qualifies this by reminding them of exactly what has just happened over the last couple of months. That he is the God who has brought them out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. That he is the one and the only one who looked on their plight and who acted. He is powerful. And they've seen this power demonstrated over and over and over again just in months gone by. This is who God is. And having told them who he is and reminding them of what he has done, God now is telling his people how they should live in response to him. Now, this is not to say that doing these things will make them his people. He's made them his people already. But as his people, this is how they should respond to him as God as the God who has rescued them. And here is God's first instruction. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I don't know about you, but this strikes me as a slightly odd way to phrase it. Have no other gods before me. Why not just say, hey, I'm the only God? Uh, see, we live in a culture of modernism and postmodernism. For our culture, if you were to ask the question, how many gods are there? 93% of people, their answer ranges between zero and one. That is, either there is no God or there is one God. Uh, so it seems odd for us to have a phrase which says, have no other gods beside me. Uh, but this is not the case into the world that God is speaking with these Israelites in giving them the Ten Commandments. You see, this is a world where every nation and every person in every nation has hundreds, even thousands of gods. Uh, this is a world where every person assumes that there is a spiritual world where God-like beings exist and live, and as they do things, it has impact on their lives and in this world. If the fertility God was not pleased, you would not have children. If the rain God was happy, rain will come on your crops. If the God is of death is annoyed, look out. Your very life is in danger. And so the lives of the people who live in all of these nations around Israel looked like this. They spent a lot of time uh, 
attempting to appease these gods, that if they would offer them some kind of appeasement, then things might go well for them here in this life, uh, that they might even get a leg up in this world that was often so hard. In fact, nations would collect gods as such. That is, to have a greater number of gods that you were hoping would be on your side should you go into battle against another nation. Uh, it, would be, it would be seen that if you had more gods who were kind of watching your back than the other guys, then surely that would bring you to victory. And so it's into this world of God collecting that the one true God speaks to his people. And he says, I'm not a God like the other gods. I am different. I'm, I'm not to be worshipped as one option amongst a, a plethora of other God options. Where the other nations will worship hundreds, you worship one God. He is their one and only he is the source that they are to be to turn to. He is the, he is the, he is the one that they will go to uh, for help. He is the one that they will praise when he delivers. Uh, that nothing else in the spiritual realm deserves their allegiance. That he is to be the one God that they trust in and that they find their hope in. And there is to be nothing else. And this, of course, is exactly what we've seen right throughout the Bible. Uh, the way that we're going to be working a bit today is we're going to be jumping around. Hopefully, this on the screen will help you. It's a bit of a timeline of where we're going in the various bits and pieces. We've started in the law, which is partway through the Old Testament. What we're going to do is we're going to jump back to creation and look at how creation fills in this picture for us a bit. Uh, look at how sin entering the world, the fall, how does that kind of help our picture? Uh, what happens with Israel? Do they fulfill the law? And then we're going to look later on at how Jesus fulfills this and what it looks like as it's fulfilled in new creation. So that's the shape of how we're going to be going in this series, okay? Strap yourselves in. So uh, we're heading for Genesis 1 and we're heading for Genesis 1-1. We're heading to the first verses of the Bible where it says, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, now, the earth was formless and empty. Uh, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. You see, the Bible begins uh, with there being no one and no thing before God or beside God. He was there in the beginning, and from him all things gain their existence. As Genesis 1-1 then goes and unfolds, God creates everything. He makes the realms of existence and he fills them full of everything that we see and know. There is nothing which exists which was not made by him. And so that means for us as people that you and I owe him our very existence. Uh, our very lives, uh, our joy. Adam and Eve, uh, they lived in this world that God created and in Genesis 2, they knew nothing 
outside of the goodness of God. And friends, life was good. Life where Adam and Eve depended on God alone and were provided for by God, life was very good. But the story of the Bible is that Adam and Eve chose to place the snake's words above their own. Genesis chapter 3. Rather than having God alone as their God, they elevated the words of the deceptive serpent, giving his words and his viewpoint position which belonged only to God alone. Sin entered the world because the first humans failed to treat God as God and instead treated his words as one view amongst others. But as humanity grew, so did our audacity. In Genesis 9, just after Noah and the flood, God told people, disperse over the earth, being fruitful and multiply, and trust in me for your provision. And two chapters later, at the Tower of Babel, we see humanity not elevating the words of a creature to be God, but instead they elevate themselves. Uh, I've written it down on the little outline if you've got there. Genesis 11:4. we hear the voice of the people saying, Come, let us build a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. You see, as sin corrupts people's hearts... We don't just elevate other things into the place of God. We often will just elevate ourselves. That we will give ourselves a God status in our own minds and hearts and actions. And so that takes us back to where we started. That as God forms a people for himself, he gives them his good law. He begins with a simple but crucial commandment. Have no other gods before me. Don't elevate another voice like Adam and Eve did. Don't elevate your own voice like the people of David, uh, Babel did. Um, treat God as God, like he rightly deserves. Well, how did that go for the people of Israel? What do you reckon? Thumbs up. Who reckons it went well? Who reckons it went badly? Let's go. Good. Most people have got it. It went badly. It's kind of hinted by the word failure up the top there. Uh, no, sure, uh, no less than uh, eight, uh, eight chapters later, after Moses had given the commandments, the Ten Commandments, to the people of Israel... He went back up the mountain, Exodus 32, verse 1. The people came to Aaron and said, Come, make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us up out of Egypt, we don't know what happened to him. So in verse 4, Aaron made them golden figurines shaped like a cow and said, These are your gods, Israel who brought you up out of Egypt. If ever there is a moment where you should just literally be going, what are you doing, guys? 
This is utterly ridiculous. This is less than a year after God has rescued them out of Egypt. We're talking less than a year. And look at what they do. They take his goodness. They take his love for them and they attribute it to a cold, lumpy, shiny piece of metal that looks like a cow. They elevate that thing to the place that only God deserves. And that's only the start. As Israel's history continues, we see more down points than we do up. Uh, God's people were led astray in their sin, and that includes having other gods before the one true God. Uh, I'm going to pick up this chunk from Ezekiel 8. Uh, It's a moment where God is showing Ezekiel uh, what's really going on in Israel uh, in a vision. Uh, And it's Ezekiel 8 verse 4. It's on your sheet there. Uh, The Spirit lifted me up between earth and heaven and the visions visions of God, he took me to Jerusalem, to the entrance of the north gate of the inner court of the temple of God. Then he said to me, Son of man, look to the north. So I looked and there in the, in the entrance north of the gate, I saw, uh, of the, north of the gate of the altar, I saw this idol of jealousy. He said to me, son of man, do you see what they are doing? The utterly detestable things the Israelites are doing here, things that will drive me far from my sanctuary, but you will see things that are even more detestable. Moving to verse 10. So I went in and looked and I saw betrayal over all the walls of all kinds of crawling things and unclean things and all of the idols of Israel. In front of them stood 70 elders of Israel, that's all of them, and, Jaz- and Jazaniah, the son of Shaphan, was standing among them. Each had a censer in his hand, and a fragrant cloud of incense was rising. He said to me, Son of man, have you seen what the elders of Israel are doing in the darkness? Each at the shrine of his own idol, they say, The Lord does not see us. The Lord has forsaken the land, and it could keep going and going Throughout chapter 8, it goes five times, seeing worse and worse and worse. Israel failed dismally to keep the first commandment, and they did so in utterly deplorable ways. They did not keep God as the one true God. They simply made him one God amongst many, one authority amongst a sea of authorities, one hope amongst a throng of different gods, all of them hoping, all of them that they hoped would lead them and see them victorious. In doing all of these things, they made a complete mockery of God. Friends, this is their story, and this story would be ours as well, except for Christ. The first commandment reveals our heart, that we, like those in the Old Testament times, would rather have many voices and many kings and many gods rather than listening to the one true God. And so, friends, thank God for Jesus 
who came to fulfill the law for us. Jesus, God the Son, became human so that he might fulfill this law for you and for me. I'm going to turn here to Philippians 2. It should be on your sheet there, where it says, your attitude should be the same as Jesus Christ, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing, by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. And let's pause it there. Jesus is God. God reveals himself to be three in one. Jesus is God the Son, fully God. And what does he do with that? Well, what he does with that is he submits himself to the will of his Father in order to save us. And as he truly becomes human and he lives amongst us and he breathes and he eats and he gets skinned knees when he falls over, he submits himself to his Father, even willingly dying on a cross in order to fulfill the plans of his father to save these willfully disobedient human beings. You see, Jesus listened to his father. He only had one voice that he was interested in listening to. It reminds me of the moment where Jesus went out into the desert to be tempted by Satan. Uh, Satan's temptations to Jesus were to take a shortcut, If you worship me, I'll give you all the things that you would achieve achieve by God's plan. But Jesus would have none of that. Uh, He didn't elevate himself like those in the Old Testament. Uh, Though he is God, he still followed the instructions of God the Father. Uh, See, if you want to know what it is to truly live out the first commandment, the commandment, you shall have no, gods, uh, uh, no other gods before me, then look no further than the life and death of Jesus the Christ. But Jesus doesn't remain as simply an obedient example for us. Jesus' submission to the Father sees him glorified in new creation. Uh, look from verse 9 in Philippians 2. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, that's talking about when Jesus returns, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, God responds to Jesus' faithfulness by making him Lord over everything. Jesus is exalted above every name. He is in charge over every authority. And on that final day, it will be revealed that Jesus is truly Lord. Whether you want to acknowledge it or not, every knee will bow. Every tongue will acknowledge it. God will be given glory as he is revealed, as Trinity Father, Son, and Spirit. 
God will be given glory as people acknowledge the truth about commandment number one, that there is no other God before him or beside him or that even remotely compares, that he is the one who is in charge. So pulling all that information together, how do we as Christians respond now? Well, we respond in two ways. First is, we need to hear the warning. Uh, Let nothing take the place that is rightly reserved for God. Uh, Some of you will know, when I started here at church, I moved into Mark Schroeder's old office. Uh, Now, he did an average-ish job of cleaning up, uh, but he, he, he was someone who liked to write on, on the windows and leave himself little messages and reminders, uh, and he'd left a whole bunch of them on the windows. One that I loved uh, it was that, it, 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 that he'd, he'd written up there was, abstain from anything that could be a substitute for God. Abstain from anything that could be a substitute for God. I liked it so much, I've kept it there. It's now probably about 10 years old, and I suspect it's never coming off again. Uh, So I apologise, wardens, it's Mark's fault. Um, uh, But today we saw three Old Testament examples of getting it wrong. Uh, And they function as a warning to us. Uh, Firstly, don't let another voice speak more prevalently than God's, like Adam and Eve did with the serpent. What this means is that we need to take God very seriously at his word. We need to spend good time listening so that we might not get carried off by something that sounds kind of true, but actually subtly shifts us away from the voice of the one true God. Abstain from anything that could be a substitute for God. Second, we need to watch out for the moments where we might want the glory, uh, like in Babel, where we don't listen to an outside voice, uh, but we listen with, uh, to the foolishness of our own pride and arrogance. Don't be fooled by yourself either. There's only one God. Listen to Him. Put His words into practice. Submit yourself to Him as the one who knows what is good. Abstain from anything that could be a substitute for God. And thirdly, we need to be cautioned by the Israelite nation uh, who sought after every voice under the sun, thinking they could dabble in a bit of God and a bit of every other God or every other thought under the sun. They thought that God would not see. God does see. Uh, And there is no room for pretending that God is in charge while cluttering your life with all manner of ungodliness which you leave unchecked. We live now in a time of grace. That is, you can turn back to God. You can find forgiveness for every sin. But God also warns us that he will judge those who fail to treat him as God. So, friends, repent, which means turn from your wrongdoing. Turn to his son. 
in whom alone there is forgiveness. And then live a life where you abstain from anything that could be a substitute for God. Well, the second, the second thing that we should see in this passage is that we should rejoice. Genuinely, we should rejoice and worship God as he re- has revealed himself to be. You see, if you are a Christian here today, then God, who God has revealed himself to be is joyous to follow. He's not a God who has loaded you up with incredible burdens that are weighted down and hard to carry. He's a God who has met us in our complete failure and our weakness and our poverty of caring about what he even thinks as he stepped into our world to save us. The Father, Son and Holy Spirit, our God protects and our God empowers us to say no to sin and he promises an incredible, secure future with him for any who turn and trust Jesus as their saviour. And so friends, respond to, to our great God with joy, with great praise, with great thankfulness. He is worthy of our praise, not to make us saved, but as saved, because as saved people, we have got the best view to see how truly excellent our God is and why we don't need any other. Friends, let me pray for us that we will continue to have one true God and none beside him. Let me pray. Our Lord and God, we are sorry for the times where we have listened to other voices uh, like they are comparable with yours. We're uh, sorry for the moments where we have treated ourselves as gods of our own lives. We are sorry for the moments where we clutter our life with ungodliness and pretend that you can't see. Thank you so much that you reveal yourself to us as the God who is full of grace. Thank you that Jesus was humble and died on a cross for us. And we praise you that he is raised to be Lord over all. Lord, help us to amend our eyes, our, our lives. Help us to abstain from anything which could be a, considered a substitute for you. And may we encourage one another to keep striving after you as our one true God. Amen.